Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, hey, today I'm so grateful that you are here. I want to kick off today's message by reminding you of a childhood memory. There was a song, if you grew up in church... There was a song that you learned that you still know by memory. If you didn't grow up in church, you've heard the song more than likely in the world, and you probably know it by memory too. It's a song that has a real important message that reveals to you how much you are loved by Jesus. And it goes like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he... Now you got to sing it with me. Yes, Jesus loves... Oh, come on now. Yes, Jesus loves... Sing it now. Yes, Jesus loves... How do we know that? The Bible tells me... The Bible tells me... Yeah, give yourselves a hand. Good job. If you don't know that song, you can hear by the repeated lyrics. We're not that bright. We to Give us three or four lyrics and we can make a song. But it is an important message, isn't it, that Jesus loves you. What's interesting is the song teaches us that we know he loves us because the Bible tells me so. Now, this is a good tool, I think, to teach our children when they're young because it's a simple, concrete way to learn about what feels like an abstract idea that there is a God in this world who personally cares about you as an individual and he loves you and there's an abstract idea that you can get with a concrete document to prove how much you are loved. I believe it's good for kids, but today, let's have an adult conversation around this question. Was Christianity founded on the Bible? Was Christianity founded on the Bible? And the reason I think this is real timely is because some of us grew up in church where we were taught that the Bible is inspired. And by the way, I still believe that. We maybe have even taught our kids this. But then we grew up, and our kids have too, if your kids are older like mine, we grew up and all of a sudden we went to college and a professor told us all these things we had never really thought about and all of a sudden people who seem smarter than we do in academic places tell us things like, well, no, no, no. Do you know that the Bible is anti-women, anti-science, pro-slavery, pro-violence? And we're most of us sitting there thinking, I was just trying to take a class. I don't feel equipped to defend the Bible against all these accusations. And unlike maybe... 30 or 40 years ago when we could control the message that Christians were hearing now, we all have the podcast, we all have the internet, we all have access to those who believe and those who don't. And the most famous attack upon Christianity is this Bible because let's be honest, there are a whole lot of ancient cultures and a whole lot of foreign countries that are involved with some really weird things and it takes a lot of homework to really understand what's going on in context of all these things that are said in scripture and most of us feel way over our skis to try and defend all of the things that are said in scripture and then all of a sudden someone who seems really bright comes and attacks and then somebody over here attacks somebody that we love walks away and over and over again what we are seeing is more than ever before 
people are walking away from their faith because of the attacks on Scripture. Because what happens is, if the thinking is, I can oppose Scripture and discredit it, then I can dismiss Christianity. And if I can do that, I can dismiss the evidence that Jesus loves you. This I know for a Bible that smart people tell me it isn't so. And all of a sudden, the whole thing comes crumbling down. This is an important conversation as school begins and students are back in school, as you're back in college over the next week or two, and once again, the, 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 the uh, conversation begins always from sort of an antagonistic position of how outdated, how inaccurate, and how unreliable the scriptures really are. Now, you may even be here today, and you may be new, and, and you may have questions, and you may be here today thinking, man, these Christians believe some funny things, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to wrestle with what is it that causes you to believe these things that are said in the Bible, and you're wondering about that. Or you may be here, and you may be someone who regularly attends church, but you've been on your own journey, and you're beginning to have doubts, and people may or may not know what, is, you know, what you're wrestling with, and you may already have your hand on the doorknob and you're about to walk away from your faith because of some things you're struggling to believe that are in the Bible. Now I want to give a caveat because I know I'm going to make some of you a little bit uncomfortable and just say this and this is important out of the gate. I personally believe that the Bible is eternal, it is reliable, and I even believe it is inerrant. However, I do not believe that our Christian faith rises and falls based on what you and I think of the Bible or what a professor thinks of the Bible. And this is so important. Please, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Our faith, the Christian faith, has always and will always rest on one sole individual, Jesus of Nazareth. And it's Jesus and Jesus alone upon which our faith was founded. And this is an important bedrock for us to come back to even today. I love the scriptures, but I worship the Savior. And when I get to heaven someday, it's him who I will look for. And so with that said, I think as followers of the way, if you're a Christian here today, or if you're not a Christian, you're checking things out and you're wondering where kind of we anchor our faith, this is a perfect conversation for you to walk into today. Because what I think we ought to continually um, guard against is it's time to shift the question from, is the Bible reliable, to, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, a reliable account of actual events. And the reason why I specifically choose those four books, often called the Gospels, is because the Gospels are the life and teaching of Jesus upon whom our faith rests. And if any of those accounts are reliable accounts of actual events, then you and I can rest solid our faith against Jesus of Nazareth. It's important to discover, but are they reliable, recorded events that actually happen? And here's the challenge. That's why we're talking about it today. Because so much of our faith amongst Christians who are walking away because they're resting their faith, they're resting all their faith 
instead of on Jesus himself, they're trying to defend every nuance and every letter where they are ill-equipped. And so with that said, I think we are all at a disadvantage for this conversation. As people who live in the 21st century, we don't have a great perspective on the Christian story. And so I wanted to create just a real simple timeline that will help give us a perspective on the Christian story that I think really helps us understand what we're going to talk about today. So back in the first century, there was an event. Something extraordinary happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And we celebrate that every Easter, but our faith leans on that event wholeheartedly. And then, as a result of a man who was dead who began to walk, there was a movement, a faith movement, that began afterwards simply called people of the way. They weren't yet called Christians. They were just people who were following the way. They were so, what happened was they said, this man was dead, he's walking, he taught these amazing things, he's loved in amazing ways, he's performed the miracle of miracles. We will now reorient our entire life and follow his teachings and share his message. And so they began a movement, hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of people began to follow him all because of an event that took place and then still in the first century what happened was people began to document what they had seen and what they had heard so we have the four gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John we have uh, Luke who wrote Luke and also wrote the book of Acts and then we have Paul's letters and James and Peter and others wrote New Testament letters they simply documented that what Jesus had said what Jesus had done and then some of the things that happened in the early parts of the movement or the way all of this took place in the very first century and guess what they didn't yet have a Bible a Bible as we know it they would have the Old Testament one synagogue might have one of the letters one synagogue might have one of the Gospels but because this was taken and and transcribed by hand very valuable this just wasn't something they had access to few could have read it had they had access to it and you say, well, so they survived an entire decade? More than that, they, they, they survived an entire century without the Bible tells me so? No, it was more than that. They didn't survive one decade or one century or two centuries, but more than three centuries, these Christians and the movement continued to grow, continued to expand, and people continued to come to Christ, and people continued to defend their faith, and there was yet to be what we would call the Bible until at the end of the fourth century there is a 300 year gap and at the end of the fourth century the Bible is finally assembled and there begins to be what we would call the Bible and there's the opportunity for people to now say the Bible tells me so but up until then that's not something anyone would have sung and anyone would have known. And our disadvantage as 21st century people is we find out about Jesus and the Bible at the same time. But back in the first 300 years, it was all about an event that created a movement. And there was some people who were documenting the event and the movement. And here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is not a Bible story. The Bible 
is a Jesus story. Had there been no resurrection, there would be no Bible. Jesus doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Jesus and what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. I love the story that as, as we uh, are going to study today, we're going to look at the book of Luke because here's the reality. If any of these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are true, if they're real reliable events that actually happen, then we can put all our faith on this man, Jesus. And so we're going to start a series. We're actually going to kick it off in two weeks. Today, I just want to give an introduction to it. We're going to start a series, and we're going to go through the book of Luke. Now, what's unique about the book of Luke, this is so important, is he wasn't a disciple, though he wasn't in the inner circle of the movement as it began, people of the way, in the early days. He was a, a companion of Paul's on some of his missionary journeys. And he was considered, Paul, in fact, said he was a physician. He was someone who was meticulous and carefully investigated. It's N.T. Wright who writes of Luke, and he says that Luke was an educated and cultured man who may have been the very first real historian to write about this Jesus. So we're going to look at his documented stories of the teaching and life of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to investigate Jesus, and we're going to decide for yourself, you get to decide if you believe, based on what we discover, is Luke's recorded account an accurate recording of actual events of Jesus. Now, I think anytime you study Jesus, your heart comes alive and you are drawn to our Father. I believe that. In fact, we have a really unique opportunity. I'll just throw this plug in here. Next April, we're going to go to Israel. And if you're interested in studying more and investigating Jesus, we have an opportunity for you to come. I'd love for you to come and join me on this trip. Um, it's going to be April the 4th through the 13th. There's a small deposit that's due by September the 1st. And so I want that, wanted a word to get out today. And, and through word of mouth, already about half of the spots have filled up. But we still have a couple more weeks. If you're interested, just go to our webpage. Uh, go to the website and go to the events page. And, uh, and you can get all the information, lots of information, lots of videos with all the, all the questions you might wonder about. I will tell you, a few years ago when I was in Israel, my very favorite moment was as we were pulling up on, in the bus to Galilee. And the guide said, today we will walk where Jesus walked. And I'm telling you, I'm good. Like, this is what I wanted to do. An opportunity to investigate Jesus. So if, you, if you're interested in that trip, we'll do some more uh, in the years ahead, but I wanted you to have that opportunity. Today, what I would like for us to do is take the book of Luke and look for ourselves. Do we believe this is a real account of actual events? And today, all we're going to do in an introductory way is look at the first four verses. As this man, Luke, is recording what he claims are real events about the life and teaching of Jesus Notice how he began his letter. Remember, if you're going to write about what he thought was something extraordinary that was life-changing, that changed everything, how would he begin that letter? It's got to be something better than, wow. Like, that's how I think I would begin it. Like, this is unbelievable. He begins his letter very intentionally because he knows that people who read his account, his, his, uh, his contemporaries, 
would be questioning whether or not he got it right. So I want you to see how he begins his letter, just the first four verses today. Luke chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Look with me at Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. He begins and he says, would you just say that first word out loud with me? Say it with me. Many. Now say it with me again. Say it out loud. Many. Yeah. Many. This is an important word. The very first word is so important here. Many have undertaken, meaning I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and many people have written about him. Many people have drawn up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. There's this thing that happened that changed everything. And many people have written about it. Now this is interesting because... When Jesus was dead and, and then rose again and then ascended into heaven and he was no more here in physical flesh on earth, many people wrote about him. When you and I are dead and gone, do you know how many people will write about us? Not many, right? Do you know how many famous people there are from the first century? Not many. Do you know how many rabbis we know the stories of from the first century? None. Why did Luke write about this man, Jesus? And not only Luke, but many people would write. Think about it. Life is hard. Food is scarce. It's not like bloggers and influencers today. We've got time. We're writing about anything and everything, including what we ate for lunch. That wasn't the case back then. They're just kind of hand-to-mouth as a society. And writers were few and far between. Why would he write about this Jesus? And why would many people write about this Jesus from Galilee who had been crucified? Think about it. Many people had been crucified. But why was everyone writing about this Jesus? What made his story worth telling? Luke will go on to say that something extraordinary had happened. And he had to be the one to tell it. He believed that something that changed everything had happened. And he was willing to do anything to tell the story. But notice when he told the story. This is so important. The last two words of that same verse say that many had undertaken to draw up an account of the things that had been fulfilled. Say these last two words with me. Among us. Now this is important because he's writing as an eyewitness to say, I am writing to other people who were also eyewitnesses who have it within their ability to refute what I am saying. It's sort of like if I were going to write about COVID, I can't just make stuff up because you experienced it, and you could counter anything that I get wrong. Why? Because it happened among us. In the same way Luke wrote about things that he claimed really happened that were supernatural to people who also were there to, to, to affirm whether or not it really happened. It happened among us. This is when he writes about it. Now, watch what he says in verse 2. Because you're going to see how serious he is about this. He says, and just as they were handed to us these stories, these teachings, uh, who from the first eyewitnesses and the servants of the word from them, with this in mind, he, goes on a, he has a case, he has a cause, with this in mind, since I myself have, say these two words with me, carefully investigated those two English words together in the original Greek language are simply parakaluthiao. 
It's one word that means to follow closely and to be meticulous. He was carefully, and he wanted to get the story right. And so he was careful in actually investigating the accuracy of the facts. And then, as he continues to say how holistic he wanted to be in verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated Paracolutheal, everything from the beginning, Luke is one of the Gospels that give us the story of Jesus' birth. We almost always read that account of Jesus' birth from Luke because Luke wanted to be thorough from the beginning all the way through the ascension of Christ. He wanted the whole story told. I too, meaning there are other people who wrote, but I too decided to write, say this with me, an orderly account. He's trying to be as clear and carefully investigating it. He wanted to be as holistically writing it from the beginning, and he wanted it to be very clear by having an orderly account. You get a sense as he's starting his letter, he wants us to know that his intent is to be accurate, that this is an accurate account of actual events. In other words, this isn't fiction. This isn't like a John Grisham novel. This isn't like Once Upon a Time. In fact, to take it a step further, Luke didn't know he was writing the Bible. Luke didn't know that one day we would be holding this in our hands 2,000 years later, reading his account. Luke didn't know there would be a 66-book Bible. Luke had no idea what was to come, and this is important. He just knew something extraordinary happened, and he just had to tell about it. The reason this is important is Luke's account of the life of Jesus was written three hundred years before the Bible was assembled in the late fourth century. So why was his account included? Was it because it was included in the Bible that it became important? No. Luke's account of the life of Jesus was included in the Bible because his account was considered, when it was written among us, to be reliable and to be accurate, to be orderly, to be carefully investigated when it was written. In other words, everybody said, now that's accurate. No, 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 that one we can rely on. It, it, it was already considered valuable by the people who witnessed what he wrote about. Think about it. It's kind of like if you went to a hotel and there was a safe in the hotel and you took something of value, whether it was jewelry or some electronic, and you put it in the safe, that item didn't become valuable because you put it in the safe. It's because it was valuable that you put it in the safe. In the same way, Luke's book didn't become valued when it was put into the Bible. It was put into the Bible because the people considered it to be so valuable. Those who witnessed what he wrote about said, this is accurate, this is orderly, and this is trustworthy. Therefore, 300 years later, generations later, it was still revered and put into the Bible when it was assembled. Now, if we're going to truly investigate Jesus, which is what I really want us to consider doing, we've got to be honest right out of the gate as we've read these first three verses of Luke and ask this honest question. Is Luke just lying or is he revealing Jesus? In other words, is he exaggerating? Is he embellishing? Or is he really being orderly and giving an accurate account of actual events? 
Now, there's no reason to believe he would have a motivation to lie, and certainly the people who were his contemporaries believed that he was accurately recording what happened. And then next, he mentions a guy who's kind of one of the most interesting guys in the early part of the book of Luke. He's also a guy who's mentioned in Luke's other letter, the book of Acts. And watch what it says. With this in mind, the rest of verse 3 Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, who is this guy, Theophilus? Who's Theo? Well, we don't honestly know a lot about him. We know his name means friend of God. Some have suggested maybe it's just a generic identity for all of us who would then read the letter. Most people, though, believe it was a real person who was probably a person of power or prestige or maybe political influence. Some even say he was very possibly a new believer who was a person of means and wealth and that he wanted to know because of Luke's unique access to these early Christians. Luke, what actually happened? Well, Luke, I will subsidize you writing the story of what actually happened so that you can take the time to do that. Either way, we don't know a lot about him except that he's mentioned here and in the book of Acts. And then we move on to verse 4, and I love because Luke continues to double down. Watch what he says. With this in mind, since I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? So that you may know with certainty, Luke is confident that he's getting it right, that his investigation will give you the real details of the things you have been taught. Theophilus, you may be a new believer. You may be trying to figure this out, but I'm going to tell you, you will have certainty once my investigation is complete and once my letter is fully documented. Now, just as a reminder, because we're sitting here in the 21st century and it's easy for us to lose perspective, remember there was an event, and then there was a movement, the way, and then these letters were documented. This is when Luke wrote this, in the mid to late first century and 300 years later late fourth century the bible was actually assembled now here's what luke knew and this is so important luke traveled with paul and remember paul if you remember his missionary journeys that we studied in acts there was a lot of violence wasn't there paul was the one who was who was beaten he was imprisoned he was kicked out of cities like Luke was with him all along the way Luke knew that there were people who opposed the faith and there could even be violence to be part of this movement Luke was aware of that what Luke didn't know was that one day his letter and book that he was writing would be memorized and revered by Christians and others would hate the letter and want to burn the letter This would happen many years after Luke was dead and gone, when all of a sudden, at the turn of the 4th century, there was a new Roman emperor, Diocletian, who was over all of Rome and who was in power, and he wanted to end Christianity, which up until that point had always been in the shadows. There was no freedom to be public in our worship. There was no freedom to take these Uh, documents and go into the daylight and so it was always in the shadow and Diocletian decided I am going to end Christianity and what he decided was in order to end Christianity the best thing to do is to burn and remove and eliminate their religious literature because these silly Christians seem to be so fueled by their literature so he decided that would 
be the easiest way. So he began to arrest the bishops. He began to shut down these small house gatherings. And he began to have their literature burned. But these silly Christians, as he called them, were very brave followers of Jesus. And they would risk everything for their faith. Sometimes they would so protect these pieces of literature that they would even risk their lives to hold on to and preserve and distribute this literature, including the book of Luke. And then something incredible happened, and following Diocletian's reign was another emperor named Constantine. And Constantine, many believe, historians, that his mother was a Christian. And suddenly he looked favorably upon these Christians in the Roman Empire. And for the first time, he invited them to walk with Jesus publicly. And they began to come out of the shadows. And they began to, both the scholars and the bishops would meet together and they would bring their copy of the of the book of Luke and they would have a copy of the book of Luke and they would compare and they would have other copies of the New Testament letters and they would compare and before you knew it they had it all together and for the first time in human history all these letters were gathered in one place and toward the end of the century here's what's so fascinating the Roman Empire had begun to look so favorably upon Christianity that they decided to fund the assembly of the Bible this is something only God could do. The very empire that crucified Jesus on a cross is the same empire that then funded the story of Jesus that you and I hold in our hand, the Bible. Isn't that just something that God would do? And now we have what we all say, oh, these are the 66 books of the Bible. As they all gather and say, well, these are the ones we've been leaning on since the very beginning. Yep, let's just bind them together. They will be assembled, and they will be the scriptures that we take forward from here. This is so important because Jesus is not a Bible story. The Bible is a Jesus story. And Jesus doesn't exist because of the Bible. 300 years later, the Bible would exist because of Jesus. And the event that took place in the beginning of the first century when Jesus rose from the dead and something extraordinary happened and they had to tell about it. So I'll say all that to say this. If any of the Gospels are true, then we can lean our faith on this Jesus because all four Gospels end the same. They all claim that Jesus died and was crucified on a cross. They all claim that Jesus was buried and that he rose again, and then he was seen in his risen body by several hundred people. If that's true, if any of those are true, that is what we rest our faith on, is this Jesus of Nazareth. This, is, this day laborer from Galilee, why was his story so worth telling when he taught these crazy things like, love your enemies, or you find your life when you lay it down. And then at the end, he laid his life down. It is Jesus who changed everything. And I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to have these arguments back and forth over details that, that I'm learning myself or I can tell the other person's wrestling with for the first time and lose sight of the fact of what Jesus did for me Jesus came from heaven to 
earth in a broken world where he left perfection and came to a broken, sinful world and then lived a perfect life despite all of the darkness and taught wonderful things for me. He is the one who eventually lays down his life on the cross and we are told that God demonstrated his love there for me. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb for three short days. And then he performed the greatest miracle in human history where he overcame the thing that most of us fear most, death itself. And he rose from the dead. And then he allowed himself to be seen so that when we go back and see the evidence, for me, I can believe. And then he ascended into heaven where he sits on the right hand of God and he's advocating for me to this day and there will be a day I believe when Christ comes back and I go to heaven and guess who I will look for I will look for this Jesus I will look for my Savior who's who's the one that my faith leans on so I just say I think as we gather here today that we must not ever devalue or diminish or bring down anything by letting anything else go up to the Jesus who our faith is leaning on. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is the one who redeems us and the one about your kid who's walking away or your grandkid who's walked away and you're so worried. He's the one who loves them even more and he will do anything to draw them back. If we place our faith in anything, let it be Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus alone. Amen? And I think for us, this has to be a new conversation. We say, you know, I'm going to continue to share the message of Jesus above everything. What he did started a movement that changed the world. People documented. And 300 years later, yes, we get the Bible. And yes, I revere this. Yes, I think it's eternal. Yes, I think it holds strong in all those controversial issues. But my faith leans against Jesus in Jesus alone. So if you're here today and you're struggling, if you're here today and you have a child who's struggling, and I know some of you are in that place, or you have a grandchild or a neighbor or a coworker who's struggling with their faith, what we're going to do in this series that we kick off in two weeks is we're going to open up the book of Luke and we're going to consider is this a reliable account of actual events? And we're simply going to look at this one book the Gospel of Luke. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I've heard what you have to say, and if you choose to not follow Jesus because it's inconvenient, I get that. If you choose to not follow Jesus because it's hard, because it's too costly, I totally get that. I always say Christianity is the worst hobby you can possibly have. But please, don't choose to not follow Jesus because you don't think there's anything to the story. Because there's too much evidence that declares otherwise. So despite what you heard in college, our faith was not founded on the Bible. It was founded on a Savior who rose from the dead, and everything changed. And as an adult, you owe it to yourself to personally investigate this Jesus and decide, yes, it's easy to criticize the Bible, but is Luke's account accurate? Is it real? 
Because Jesus doesn't exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Jesus. So let's investigate him. And I just want to say, if you can come to the place where you are at least 51% convinced that Jesus actually rose from the dead, you, like those, those Christians in the first century, will then be able to reorient your entire life around this miraculous event that changed the world. And I believe, as we go on this journey, you will discover that 2,000 years ago, as it turns out, something extraordinary did happen. And that is what we're going to discover together. So two weeks from today, we begin this new series called Investigating Jesus, How We Know and Why We Follow. And sometimes I hear people, well-meaning people say, I wish sometimes there would just be a series where I could invite my child who's walked away, my grandchild or my friend. This is that series. So two weeks from today, I just want to encourage you, would you just pray, God, reveal to me who I could bring to be part of of this series. Let me ask you these two questions as we close. Number one, ask yourself, what is my faith resting on? What is my faith resting on? And honestly, sometimes we try to give really clear, simple steps people can take as we finish a message. This may feel a little more like something you got to wrestle with, with the Lord, and I hope that, I just want to invite you to do that. Maybe you want to talk to somebody that you really trust, but help me discern what is my faith resting on and then secondly do I know someone else who's wrestling with their faith and the answer is of course we all know people who are wrestling with their faith and if that's you and you know of someone someone you really care about would you invite them just say hey would you come sit with me as we begin this new series two weeks from today on August the 27th investigating Jesus how we know and why we follow I can't wait to start that together Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word that you miraculously preserved for us. But God, most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who paved a way to have my sins washed away and for me to have a relationship with you. God, may I continue to worship you and you alone and have my faith anchored against you above all else. Help that to be our story. Help that to be the message that we proclaim. When others want to debate, may we share Jesus. I pray it all in his name, his powerful resurrected name that changed this world. Amen.